Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar, which is brought to you in association with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food Drink Ireland Skillnet, and National Rural Network. Uh, this morning, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Lillian O'Sullivan, uh, who is a, a researcher in, in integrated land use and soils based at, at Johnstown Castle. Lillian, you're very welcome. Lillian, you've spent uh, a, a good bit of the last few years digging out and trying yeah. to understand and <laughs> quantifying uh, hedgerows. Yeah, so I suppose today the focus of my talk is really around looking at the climate regulation potential of hedgerows. Uh, people are very curious, I suppose, about that. It's become very important, certainly in the policy space, but also too at farm scale, as you know, farmers are all trying to adapt to try and meet all of these targets and uh, support uh, meeting and addressing some of the challenges, not only for biodiversity, but certainly too for climate and certainly um, hedgerows have a role to play in that. And that's the, the topic really of this morning's presentation yeah. in terms of the, the project we did and just what we found out and how we can use that knowledge. And of course, it, we'll always conclude with the some of the remaining knowledge gaps, of course, but um, we've made some progress at least. Okay, and a huge interest in the topic, given that you have acres now with, with uh, planting coming up, you have potentially some planting coming up under eco scheme, and you have a lot of further regulation in terms of the management of hedgerow for derogation and for farmer stocking at, at, at significant stocking rates. So a lot of a lot around the policy piece in relation to hedgerows. I suppose without taking up any more of your time, Lillian, if you're okay to, to go ahead with your presentation. Okay, very good. Uh, thank you very much, Pat. Um, again, delighted to be here, obviously, as part of Hedgerow Week, which, of course, has been growing in the last number of years and people are really starting to appreciate and understand uh, the value of hedgerows. And just following on from what um, Catherine mentioned there, um, before I get into the carbon component, I just think this is a very nice picture from uh, the UK, the People's Trust for Endangered Species, where they really um, show and highlight here in this image all of the many very different ecosystem services that we actually get uh, from our hedgerows. You know, they have a role in terms of crops, soils, reducing erosion, livestock, animal welfare, you know, shelter and shade. Um, all of these things that I suppose we don't always immediately think about. And of course, they also have uh, cultural and aesthetic value. Um, but today we're going to focus, as I said, primarily on that whole area of carbon and carbon storage and uh, a bit on sequestration as well. But I just think uh, not to lose sight, I know, as you mentioned, this area of carbon has become very important but it's really important too to not lose sight of that very uh, diverse range of services that we get uh, from our hedgerows. But I suppose in relation to um, hedgerows, why do they matter for climate? Here on the left, I show um, a picture of the carbon cycle and of course, photosynthesis draws carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and that's carbon dioxide is utilized then to grow biomass um, such as grass, trees and crops. And some of it, of course, ends up getting locked into the soil. And of course, hedgerows, um, you know, they're they're an important woody biomass feature that we have across our landscapes. 
and they too lock up carbon in that plant biomass and in the soil over time and they're sequestering during that active growth uh, phase to maturity. Uh, so then I suppose in terms of the research uh, context, you know, we've touched on this Um, I've updated it even from when we were doing the project actively. Um, it's a rapidly changing policy environment. Uh, but one of the issues that has been coming up over the years is the fact that we, you know, have not had capacity to be able to account for hedgerows within our national inventory reporting. Uh, currently, they fall within the grassland and the crop land um, categories but to be able to do that we need to be able to advance our capacity to assess carbon stock change over time so from point a to point b what's happened has that carbon stock gone up or down and depending on what's happened in that interim phase will dictate in that emission reporting part whether it's a source or a sink uh, in at the national scale um, we're all aware that we have um, the Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Bill, which has an economy-wide target of 51% um, carbon reduction emissions on 2018 levels. And we know that that target for agriculture is 25%, but has not yet been set for the land sector. Um, so again, hedgerows are play into that space as well. Um, and that land use, land use change and forestry sector is actually quite challenging for Ireland, because unlike the rest of Europe or most of Europe, um, that land sector is actually a source of emissions uh, in Ireland. Uh, this is primarily to do with uh, drained organic soils and, and other matters. But um, what it does signal to us is that if we have carbon sinks, we need to look after them and we need to try and optimise them. And if they're losing carbon, we need to stem that loss. Um, of course, uh, hedgerows have been part of different uh, agri-environmental schemes uh, for a long time. And Pat referred there now to the opportunities opening up within eco-schemes. We know there's um, budget under acres, etc., for planting new hedgerows. But uh, I suppose in summary, in general, hedgerows have been somewhat overlooked in climate policies, uh, but they have been afforded protection under cross-compliance. And of course, they're protected under the Wildlife Act. But this is a trend that we often see in that policy space is that, uh, you know, there's very often that lack um, of integration. So I suppose historically you might have had uh, payments that, you know, that you can't have hedgerows encroaching into the area, etc. And But there's been quite an evolution in, in some of that space now recognising that we also have other targets um, that have to be met. Um, whether that's climate biodiversity and so on. Um, so there's kind of a new appreciation or looking at some of these landscape elements like hedgerows uh, differently. Um, it's fair, there's been a lot of work um, done previously in this space. Um, in terms of quantity, uh, it's important if you want to account for hedgerows, you need to know how much is there. Um, and there's been a lot of previous projects um, within Tagusk and in collaboration with other partners to trial different technologies and um, to be able to get estimates on what the extent of hedgerows is in Ireland. Um, the Briar Project, one of the more recent ones, had an extent of 689,000 kilometres. Um, but all of the evidence uh, would suggest that there has been some decline or there's a, you know, a rate of decline in that hedgerow stock over time. So, um, 
what what some evidence would suggest is that rate of decline is going down. Um, however, there was a, a, a revisit or, or a resurvey of the County Monaghan Hedgerow Survey published in 2021 um, that showed that there was a contraction of 0.9%. So this issue of losing hedgerow stock um, seems to be out there in the evidence and also uh, the quality, the quality of some of our hedgerows, um, you know, there's research been done by a former PhD, uh, Julie Larkin here, that shows that hedgerows are on um, intensive farms tending to be of low ecological quality. But I suppose the positive part of that is that there is opportunity to improve our hedgerows uh, with respect to the multiple benefits. And of course, that's the type of uh, discussions that have been happening around the country um, this week as part of Hedgerow Week. So just to give you an overview and to acknowledge our funders, uh, the project I'm talking about today is the Farm Carbon Project. Um, so, uh, you know, it was... Um, um, led by Chagas, um, working in collaboration with our partners first. But of course, uh, like any projects, we get a lot of support from our field and laboratory teams um, here in Johnstown and in Oak Park. And also thanks to uh, to land managers um, who also, of course, uh, fed into to this work and supported us um, to achieve um, the outcomes of the project. But because the focus is on carbon. It was really about that aspect of how can we try to assess carbon stock change over time. And this was with a view to our inventory reporting. Can we move in the direction of being able to account for hedgerows? But one of the things, even though there had been research uh, to see which were the tools to take remote measurements and what are the possibilities there, um, we still needed to do some direct measurements to validate, if you like, those remote measurements. And to do that, we had to do a field campaign and quantify our above ground and below ground biomass, analyze it for carbon, but also look at the soil under the hedgerows and if there's any change in that compared to the adjacent land use. We needed to take an airborne survey um, so that we could relate that above ground biomass to what we would call a projected volume from the re remote measurement. And using the two together, come up with uh, equations so that if you have a remote measurement, you can calculate the amount of biomass, which we understand then through our measurements represents a certain carbon concentration and stock. We also look to test it for an inventory framework. Uh, we looked at some of the process-based soil models that are widely used, and we looked to at trying to develop an integrated scorecard uh, for assessment. So what is a hedgerow? I know this probably seems like a relatively redundant sort of a question. We all know a hedgerow when we go out and look at one, but I think it's important in, to mention that in terms of um inventory reporting, etc. There is quite strict criteria on how um, hedgerows are described in different projects, use different um, width assessments, um, but there is a hierarchical approach that starts at forestry. And then if it's not forestry based on the width, length and aerial dimensions, then it falls into uh, different types of categories. Um, while the biodiversity survey of hedgerows looks at this at the ground level of four to five meters, because we wanted to capture the majority of what we um, 
the widest range, if you like, in terms of the study, we used the up to that 20 meter width, but that was including the uh, vertical profile and the, the tree crown width. But again, just to remind you that currently within inventories, our hedgerows are in that grassland and uh, sorry, cropland, that should be cropland and grassland um, categories. OK, so then what did we do when we went out to the field? Um, it's important that it's not simply a question of just um, looking at all of it together. When you're there, you need to actually separate out the different types of biomass into the different pools that are assessed as part of uh, the good practice guidance under the IPCC inventory rules. So that means that we had to separate our living biomass into our above ground and into our below ground. So our roots and then you have your above ground biomass. But you also need to look at um, uh, dead organic matter. So your dead wood. And that also includes your leaf litter. So litter that's been coming off as part of the growing season. And then in the soil, looking at the soil carbon. And then, of course, prior to all of those measurements, we would have taken um, an airborne survey um, to know these precise and characterize the hedgerow from which we were going to take um, the sample. So obviously, in principle, the projected volume is assumed to relate to this volume of above ground biomass. But we know, of course, that management is going to impact that. Um, we also did a process to disaggregate hedgerows into profile types. We used irregular, which was less than four meters, and then anything greater than four meters was irregular. And um, the reason being is that they're actually quite different and are irregular, much wider hedgerows. Um, they tend to have a lot more gappiness in space, um, but have a much larger uh, biomass area. So they tend to be very different from those very regular, very manicured, if you like, uh, hedgerows that we see across the country. So just to give you an example at each site, so we had eight sites all together and did each site. Um, we randomly selected five um five uh, zones for sampling and they were six meters each. You can see here the little trays. This was for collecting litter as we went um, during the autumnal period until there was no more litter loss. And um, so we routinely collected the litter because that has to be characterized in its own pool and separated out into leaf and some of the slightly more stemmy, um, stemmy biomass. So we had to collect that throughout the leaf fall season. Um, and then on site, when we did the actual extraction, it was to separate out. Uh, we separated all that above ground living, uh, the dead, dead wood that was attached, dead wood that was loose. Um, everything had to be weighed in its separate, um, in its separate pools. Um, and of course, there was a whole process of chipping and chipping down and drying, etc., before it could be fit for purpose uh, for the lab. Um, Oh, now let's see. Okay. Now, of course, because it's also below ground, um, biomass is important. Um, at the sampling zones, we also collected 
uh, the below ground biomass or root biomass. So there was a lot of, I suppose, engineering solutions and so forth that we had to come up with to try and do this work, for example, in terms of the air spade. Um, so, you know, you have to remove all of the soil from the roots because you can't have contamination because obviously there's carbon in the soil too. Um, so, you know, once we had that, uh, the roots um, extracted and air spaded, we also had to wet sieve uh, roots and any fractions less than two millimetres had to be removed. So very, very tedious type of work there. But that two millimetres goes into a different carbon pool. So there's a lot of uh, processing had to happen, happen with all of this. And of course, everything gets weighed, dry weighed, chip, chip, chip down to the level where it can be actually analysed um, in the lab. And here you see um, some of the samples in the oven on the right. But here too, you can see some of the bringing home um, some samples from the fields there. And in the end, all you need for, for the LECO, for the carbon analysis, is this very fine ground um, dried biomass um, that really only requires a very, very small amount to go through the lab. So you need to make sure you're getting a, a well homogenous um, sample mix in there too. Uh, of course, we also, as I mentioned, took the soil sampling, so bulk densities. As you can see, the weather wasn't great uh, for some of this work, but uh, we took the soil samples under the hedgerow, which was quite difficult because of all the root biomass, but also uh, we took it into in the adjacent land use. So then um, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things here. Um, as I mentioned, the irregular and the regular, we had to profile these hedgerows different uh, because they are quite different actually in reality, also in terms of the amount of carbon that they contain. And while the, the kilograms per meter squared is not significantly different, the absolute amount of carbon stock varies quite a lot with the irregulars having a lot more carbon. And this stands to reason because, of course, these are much bigger, much bushier um, hedgerows with a lot more trees um, contained um, within them. So um, it's just a flag that, um, you know, it's quite simple, really more biomass equals uh, more carbon. And uh, one of the things was that the carbon concentration was consistent, almost 44 percent across all of the biomass. So I think that was a helpful finding. It's quite well known, but uh, it was important that that was what we found too, of course, here in this work. So then the objective of relating that measured data to a remote measurement. So we had taken at that time the remote measurement to get that projected volume. And what you can see here is that um, for our regular uh, sampling, the steeper slope indicates so these are our regular hedgerows versus the blue which are the irregular hedgerows and um, that these regular hedgerows they're generally more dense and occupy a smaller crown space so that's why it looks steeper in this model um but uh what you see in the bottom one is we can improve the model slightly uh, where we can account for this um open space um, but in the absence of having actual photographic imagery and all of these things to do that, um, the model performs well enough in terms of actually being able to just take a remote measurement and use an equation to now relate it to um, an actual biomass, which in turn relates to a carbon stock.
Okay, so then we proceeded to um, take a look at um, how can we, you know, test this potentially uh, for an inventory system at a, at a larger scale. Um, so one of the, I suppose, the challenges is that we don't have survey data or necessarily legacy survey data too that allows you to see what's happened, um, you know, over time everywhere. But one of the tools that we use was we use the National Forest Inventory, which has a, a permanent grid sampling at two by two kilometers. And uh, we took two time steps where there was data available in 2015 and 2019. And essentially using these equations that we've developed and um, assessed how that biomass has changed, um, i.e. the carbon has changed over time for different hedgerow types and management management regimes in a pilot study uh, in a pilot study area so uh, so we have the sample we have it at two points in time as you can see here on the left um there's been a survey done to so the projected volume of that is known at two time steps it goes through this process of classifying it um, and then applying the equation to see what has happened between those two time steps um, so we did it, as I mentioned, for the NFI um, data for the two time steps in two counties. And what we find is that actually um, what you can see here, if we go to the bottom of this uh, image on the left, is that sometimes it's not that necessarily um, a hedgerow is removed. But what we can see in many instances is there's quite an, an aggressive, if you like, uh, cutback or removal. So a shift to a very intensive management regime that uh, results back, like in this case here, as you can see in this example, the hedge was cut back to width of six metres from 17 uh, metres. So, of course, that does uh, signify a loss of hedge volume and biomass and, of course, in turn, then carbon. So when we put all of those um you know, results from those two time steps together. Um, what we can do is, is characterize those hedgerows and for different types of hedgerows and management intensities, we can assess uh, what's happening and assign a value um, to uh, the different types of hedgerows that we see. So what we see is emerging hedgerows. They're very good for um, accruing over that time period. Um, carbon so they're really important so new hedgerows are really important and um, thereafter are irregular less I say unmanaged but it's it's what we mean is much less intensively managed or, or not touched and um, they showed to accrue carbon well and also the regular unmanaged so that's kind of the order um, and and what that tells us straight away is that of course how you manage this resource is a very direct um impact on what the carbon uh, balance is going to be. Um, of course, then where we have more intensive management, those showed over time um, to represent losses and the largest biomass losses were due to the removal actually of some of these irregular hedgerows. And on balance of that pilot study area, we get, uh, we end up with a loss, a carbon loss. And this is due to that cutback and removals compared to the stock gains. And I think this is important that it takes time for carbon to accrue. So maybe some of the newer hedgerows were, were still very um, small. But I suppose the big picture with this is if this is the trend across the country, 
what you're looking at then and potentially in inventories that hedgerows could from point A to point B represent a loss versus a stock of carbon. So so that's important um, to, to keep in mind. Okay, so then in terms of um the the field can you know the summary of that part of the work. Um we completed the campaign and you know what was good as I mentioned was that carbon concentration for all the dry matter pools was consistent, 43%. Now, if we look at hedgerows as as one, um the average stock we got um was 58 uh for above ground and 10. Uh, for below ground tons of carbon per hectare respectively but as I've shown already there's a very very wide range between these two different profile types so for these regular very tight very routinely managed ones it's down in the 30s was um was was what that carbon stock tonnage per hectare looked like whereas that goes up to 70 80 uh tons of carbon per hectare for these much bigger more regular um less intensively managed hedgerows we did have um some difficulty characterizing the above ground to below ground biomass uh, ratio because uh, this is quite affected by the management so what the management is happening so it's not a, a linear relationship um, as such um, but we still were able to develop a, a model or a yeah a model or an equation we could use um, but from this work we do have uh, models developed now for two major hedgerow types and um, we've shown that they can be effective for assessing carbon stock uh, changes over time and of course cutting back reduces sequestration potential but the other side of that of course is changes in management could enhance uh, potential. So then we just obviously you know I suppose the primary aim wasn't to go around looking at all the different farms or anything as such but one of the things we did do was to say to look at some of the average statistics that we have from the National Farm Survey in terms of um, our typical farming systems and the typical amount of area that hedgerows occupy on those farming systems. And uh, here you see that data on the left and, you know, you're talking about 2.7%, um, um, you know, of the use utilizable agricultural area of 61 uh, hectares, for example, in this dairy um, farming system um, is actually hedgerow and so on. Um, but of course, our dairy beef and tillage have very different emissions profiles. And when we just kind of look at that, in terms of what's the equivalent carbon uh, that those hedgerows um, on an average basis could have uh, versus the overall uh, amount of emissions associated at farm level with that farm. We can see that, um, you know, that 7% for dairy, because obviously it's a much higher emission profile for a dairy farm, um, but going up to 43% on a tillage, um, on a tillage farm. So, um, you know, if we were to change management, uh, the management regime, if we assumed everything was regular, so here we're assuming all of the hedgerows are regular, but if we change everything or half of them to being uh, more irregular, there are significant gains to be there if we, if we 50% or 100% of those hedgerows, um, were to switch to a lower intensity management regime. But of course, just to caveat that not all hedgerows are intensively managed and this is not, there's obviously 
different cultural and other factors um, that influence what farmers are likely to do in terms of hedgerow management. So, of course, it's unlikely that people are going to necessarily all be switching to unmanaged hedgerows. And of course, we still have our roadside safety concerns, um, which mean that many of the hedgerows will continue um, to require routine um, management. So, we also looked at the development of an integrated scorecard. Um, so look, we know, and we've, we've mentioned it already this morning, things like results-based payment approaches, they're becoming very integral in, you know, in part of agri-environmental schemes. And what we did was we did a hedgerow assessment at each of the eight study sites utilizing six hedgerow scorecards. Um, that are widely used and, and primarily, I suppose, designed for biodiversity assessments, um, but do have uh, a component or does have variables that have relevance, not only for biodiversity, but also for um, from a climate uh, or carbon point of view. So obviously, you know, the crux with the carbon is really to do with the amount um, of biomass that's there. So it's things like your width, height, gaps and management and so forth. So in terms of that review, you know, all of the scorecards had a number of metrics that were universal, but the grading was very different. Um, so, for example, um, if I recall the um, one of the the reap scorecard considered hedgerows greater than one point five meters in height to be optimal, uh, whereas in farm ecos this considered it to be four meters in height. For example, that's just one example. So there's quite a difference across the scorecards um, with respect to the same variables. Um, there was high variability in terms of the ecological score depending on the scorecard used. But I suppose in short, all of the scorecards had metrics that could be used to assess multiple ecosystem services, including carbon, but the weighting did not reflect uh, their value in terms of the multiple ecosystem services. So then here, that's just to give you a look at uh, ultimately what it, uh, you know, the variables that we included. Um, you know, the ecological and carbon age and management, field margins and threats to, to field boundaries. So, um, it's ultimately, you know, something that could be done quite rapidly that considers both the biodiversity and carbon, um, functioning of the hedgerow. And then, uh, one of the things to mention is more recently, as well as a function of this research now too, um, my colleagues, um, well, Gary Lanigan has uh, recently launched, uh, led the, the recent version of the latest marginal abatement cost curve for agriculture. And for the first time now, we can include hedgerows, um, and new hedgerows as part of, um, as, as part of the MAC. Um, so it's, it's now one of the tools in the toolkit of options that we can use to try and help meet, um, our targets. And so based on the soil modeling and the biomass, um, a, a rate of 3.55 tons of CO2 per kilometer can be applied. And we see that then in the MAC where we have two pathways were applied, where you have different levels of new planting and also uh, an option for management regime based on, on the work that we completed. Okie doke. So um, just to summarize uh, all together, um, I, you know, again, it's important that hedgerows um, in the pilot should be in decline. So um, this could mean that you know, if this is the trend universally across the country, then of course this means that hedgerows 
could be a potential source in our Lulu CF inventory. Um, but so current management may, may be resulting in this uh, net emission from the biomass pools, but less intensive management can result in significant uh, carbon removals. And so that, of course, is things like the new hedgerow establishment, the less inten intensive management. Um, we know, of course, now there is potential to possibly include hedgerows in the inventories. Uh, we now have uh, potential to, or they are included in the latest iteration of the MAC. And there's also potential to improve some of the existing scorecards to account for more than one objective. Um, we do need some further work in terms of soil sampling to improve the carbon model um, in the soil. Um, also looking at potentially the relationship between the above ground and below ground biomass. And also what are the opportunities or strategies from a management perspective, for example, in terms of regeneration and how can we uh, move forward ultimately to make the most of a resource um, that compared to many other countries we actually have quite a lot of. Okay, so that's pretty much the uh, overview of the project. Um, so I'll stop sharing now and um, pass back to Pat there. I suppose one uh, outcome of research, which is uh, not uncommon, is that when we do research, we find out that uh, how much we don't know, as well as 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 the outcomes of the of the research. So there's almost always a, a whole series of fur further questions uh, arising from, from from research. Just just to clarify, I think what you were saying at the end, um, when we're talking about car getting credit for for carbon for hedgerows, we're looking at what is our starting point and whether our starting point is 2018 or whatever our the starting point we take. What we're looking at in terms of getting credit in relation to hedgerows is if we build the biomass within the, the, those hedgerows to, to have more carbon in it, we can get a credit for that. But the converse of that is if there is any removal or if we reduce the amount, we actually have to uh, uh, treat that as a, as a loss of, of, of carbon and that will go against the other measures that we're doing to try and improve so that, in effect, becomes a source of, of carbon yeah. from, from agriculture or yes. from land use. Certainly, yeah. And that's kind of, I suppose, one of the, um, you know, things that's very difficult for people to appreciate because they are certainly there. They are a carbon stock. One, You know, they're there. There is carbon locked up in those hedgerows everywhere. Um, but how at the national scale, how those inventories work is there's base years. They have to be back calculated. There is an issue still there with respect to understanding uh, the management from all the way back from when you have to do the inventories. But another possibility is that it could be included as they are within grassland and cropland as a measure within grassland and cropland in inventories. But 100% what you say there is correct, Pat. It's point A to point B. You look at that, has it gone up or gone down? And that's effectively how inventory works. It's from point A to point B. Has there been an increase or a decrease? So that's okay. very much a signal that even if hedgerows are at a state of uh, obviously, their carbon accrual in terms of sequestration is most uh, while they're in their growth phase. A lot of our hedgerows are um, older, so they may not be accruing a lot 
uh, of carbon in a sequestration sense, but they still have an importance as a stock value. And that's something I think is really important for people to not lose sight of. Okay, and I suppose uh, uh, another issue there in in relation to you, you, you I suppose, dealt with uh, various types of imaging to try and uh, uh, assess and to be able to then ground truth that that imaging. Uh, and we see, say, for the the, uh, the the Department of Agriculture brought out uh, a mapping system with which identified uh, hedgerows uh, during this year as part of the eco scheme. How close are we to being able to use the ground truthing that you have in, uh, in, and the equations that you have built up to guess and, and to use satellite or LIDAR imagery to be able to do the assessment possibly rather than doing trying to do individual scorecards and to, to do that assessment effectively as a remote exercise? Well, uh, usually that reverts back to um, the issue associated with survey cost. So you can imagine it would be costly and, you know, while LIDAR would be the best technology um, to characterise that remote uh, value, um, it's costly. And we don't have a national LIDAR uh, system per se. Um, how, how, for example, department would like to you know, proceed in that space is something that's not something I can answer. But what I can say is that those equations are published in a scientific publication now, so they are ready to be used. So, for example, I know um, I had been talking with um, uh, one of our colleagues working, for example, on the signpost farms, and they were doing some characterization of the farms. And so we talked through some of that process and and those were being included then as part of this characterization that was being done where they had the data. But it goes back to that issue of having the data of that survey, the cost of the data and the repeat of that survey. Yeah. And, so, and making sure the baseline is good enough to do what baseline, you need to do. Yeah, 100 percent. But uh, a lot of those things hinge around cost and uh, a bit outside the control of anything uh, I or you can do really as such. A lot of questions coming in. I know the first question that came in, I think, could take up a whole session in its own right, Catherine. Yeah, well, I think I've grouped them into it. I'm, I'm jumping to one few ahead, which will come back to that first question. And it's it's uh, from a carbon point of view, Lillian, which is what we're talking about today, is the logical implication of your research um, that hedges should be left unmanaged? We should be careful as such because they are an anthropogenic um, landscape element and they're not naturally occurring. There is always some element or dimension of management. But I think what has been historically the case is the intensity of management, but in principle, how to have the least amount of management that allows for the most incremental gain year on year. Um, certainly year on year um, flailing is just not allowing you get any further than where you already are, as well as being poor for biodiversity. If you're not flowering and fruiting, etc., you're not really doing as much as you could for a biodiversity perspective, but equally too, you're standing still effectively. So um, if that's moving, you know, I think everybody's different, every farmer and how they do it is different, but at least if you can move to rotation or if you can move to some system, that's not going to be as intensive and um, that does allow that biomass to accumulate. Um, then there, you know, then that's the way forward. And of course, I suppose, Catherine, you're more on the ground dealing with the challenges of leaving things go to too far unmanaged that creates challenges um 
you know, for machinery and other things. So it's finding the sweet spots there in terms of um, what's the optimum management that allows the most biomass to accumulate. But in yeah. principle, less management should allow more gain. Yeah. Now, just to add my own uh, question on that, Lillian, um, I mean, one key thing you said there was more biomass equals more carbon. And what I my question to you is that the hedges that you looked at, the top, the, the, the managed hedges, I wonder, are any of them like the hedge that we have been trying to uh, propose this week where you're beginning, you know, uh, layering it, layering it, layering it up, having dense growth from wide, really tall, uh, but still managed, if you know what I mean. So that's and I don't think there's there's many hedges like that in the country at this stage. Um, So, okay, just. I I assume if more biomass equals more carbon, if I have a three meter, three to four meter high managed hedge, you that could be with with occasional trees as well, and maybe more occasional than we would have been suggesting. Um, does that sound good to you? It sounds good. Um, of course, I suppose uh, that wasn't one of the types that we had, but it shouldn't matter in terms of using an equation to characterize it, you know, and we would be able to. But it's probably something the actual knowing a real definitive answer on that is actually something that needs to we be looked need to at just, yeah. over time yeah, um, and, and, you know, over a time period of, um, you know, 10 years, this is how this performs and this is how this type of hedgerow performs. That's the level, I suppose, you want to know the answer yeah. to at the moment. Um, but none of them were precisely like that, um, yeah. as you described, because that's there are very few like that. Um, correct, correct. And that's you know, the one where... For the people who don't want to go the unmanaged route, yeah. the, the more. De- and also, I quest. I wonder. Sorry, now Pat, if I'm taking over the questions, but I wonder if that one will keep sequestering carbon longer than the one that turns into your tree line hedge and becomes mature, uh, as in a mature trees. You know, this one will be forever actively growing a huge, big, dense bulk. bulk. I- I would say no, because like everything, there is a maturity. Um, you know, when we did the modeling, now the models we used were um, to assess the net ecosystem exchange. Um, they seem to plateau off at about 50 years. Now, it's important to state that the models we used weren't designed for hedgerow ecosystem because those don't exist yet. Um, but like all living systems and trees and so forth, there is a point and it's the same with the soil. People often ask that question. You can you can keep putting organic matter back into the system, um, but there is a kind of a saturation or an equilibrium that eventually does happen. Um, so my instinct there would be to say that, no, it's not going to indefinitely um, keep, keep yeah. doing that. It will eventually reach a maturity in terms of growth. Um, but, but I but, think the point one of the points is we're a long way away from that with an awful lot of the hedgerows we have we have a lot of scope to yeah. have have uh, a, a lot more biomass uh, there biomass i mean that's there. yeah yeah i do anyway and so that kind of comes back to that first question you mentioned um the farmer who who has all tree line hedges and um amazing to see them laden with fruit which is fantastic but we, but uh and about wondering then should he um i suppose maybe he's been listening to me to say we want both types um, and he's wondering, should he do the, uh, the man, the top, the good top? Now I keep, have, we have to keep saying good, good, uh, top rather than, um, existing practice. But from a carbon point of view, I suppose, um, 
yeah, you're you're tending to have all tree line hedges from a carbon point of view. We look, you're not sure, I suppose. Well, that, well no, it goes back to that very my, first slide. Yes. Um, you you can't think about hedgerows only from the point of, point of view of carbon. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's what's also how is that? Because sometimes those uh, tree line type hedges, um, they're brilliant. Yeah. But they might be more gappy in parts. And so, yeah. you know, how does that affect their benefit in terms of pollution control and intercepting nutrients, which may be some of these other ones that ones you were talking about? Better. So it's thinking about your farm yes. in a holistic yeah. way yeah. and what's good for wildlife, what's good for carbon, what's good for all of these things that we do need to achieve. Um, sure, fundamentally, um, these hedgerows that have big bushy trees have more carbon. You know, that's yes. the research that, showed that and we know yeah. that. Um, yeah. But I think it's important to not lose sight that there are values to having some mix or matrix of um, of of hedgerows potentially provided, provided to achieve managed. other services. Yes. Yeah. Pro provided they're managed better. So I think back to that yes. question, a question came up through our workshops. The farmers own the hedges. It is up to them to decide yeah. how to manage them. And what we're guiding them towards is what practices are better and maybe what practices are really bad. Um, exactly. it's kind of coming out maybe more useful and uh, uh, again planting gaps with trees obviously I think Lillian would agree with that I would just yeah. add the Irish provenance in there now a couple of questions then I grouped them Pat about uh, spraying the base of hedges um, you know hedges disappearing from the landscape um, all yeah. the bad things that's happening, I suppose. Comment on that. Is it, you know, is there any consequences? It's not really a question for you, maybe Lillian, but mm. uh, yeah, how do we, you know, uh, what's the, yeah, what? there are no consequences yeah. legally or financially is the, is the implication from the questions here. Yeah, but I suppose, again, part of that is the advisory education element to what's really, really important. Um, but I suppose, you know, as we're evolving in, what's being ranked as important to deliver from agricultural landscapes, some of those things will be getting more um, scrutinised, if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose um, even loss of hedgerows, obviously, you know, there's rules and rules are changing about the amount of replacement planting, uh, different things like that. But I suppose it must be borne in mind that it takes a long time to replace a tree line hedge with some new hedgerow. And so it's it's everything has to be done judiciously and and in, in a planned way, really, um, to make sure that you're not, I suppose, upsetting the balance too aggressively. And again, a comment, and I'm sure you're aware, but maybe it's more the scheme side of it, about the, the problems that there was where hedges crept out into the field and farmers for their payments were cutting yeah. them back. So to be clear that that's no longer there, isn't that it, um, Lillian? Yeah, yeah and that's correct. And I suppose that's one of the key challenges with a lot of uh, the policies historically was that um, it was, I suppose, focused singularly on a particular um delivery and I suppose more and more um, the targets aren't just for example production orientated and um, there is a need now to meet um, you know percentage areas on farms etc for for all of these other deliverables that we have to achieve so I suppose um, there is greater horizontal integration now I suppose or it's certainly moving in that direction particularly as we have these uh, targets 2030 and now you know obviously uh, climate new neutrality and so forth in 2050. Lillian, I have a heap of questions. So if you could just keep the answers short on, because I'm not sure if there is answers. Any uh, carbon sequestration, any, what's the carbon sequestration from willow versus Sitka, willow growing wild? 
Ooh, I'd have to look that up, but I know yeah. we did have a research project here um, that looked at willow and miscanthus and so forth. They're fast growing, but so too in the tree world are the coniferous species. Um, but I suppose, um, you know, the, the bigger point with that is that there are faster growing species. And that's something to think about, too, um, in the planting regime. What are things we could incorporate in? And in other places, they're also looking at certain fast growing species and a kind of a rotational harvesting somehow for a renewable energy type thing. So that's a bit far away, I suppose. But in terms of um, what you put into the hedgerow, um, if they're faster growing, they'll accumulate biomass or, and carbon more quickly. Uh, we heard during the week from Sharon Casey in, in, from Cork County Council about the value from for biodiversity from the hedgerow banks. Can you comment on the carbon in hedgerow banks? Uh, well, there is certainly a carbon accrual in the soils and in the banks um, compared to the adjacent land use. But that's one of the things we do need to explore more is do a wider soil sampling campaign in relation to characterising the soil uh, element better. But in short, there is a, a, an accrual relative to the adjacent management. Uh, lots of hedges dominated by gorse in certain parts of the country. Do they have any um, carbon value? Oof, uh, that's a tricky one. We didn't actually have a lot of gorse in what we looked at. There is, I suppose, some, um, there will be some in that kind of fibrous uh, biomass. There will be, and in general, for anything we looked at, it was that same carbon concentration. Um, but yeah, I suppose, unless you have something to add in terms of the management and the, the value, the other values, Catherine, um, yes. there will be some, but yeah, it's not the most efficient Pat, do you want to take one or two while I just flick through the ends, try and get the most important key key ones? Yeah, uh, um, I suppose just a, a, a number of questions there in terms of the uh, management of uh, tree-lined. Uh, and I, I suppose it comes back down to, to some degree, to the priorities of the, of the farmers as to exactly what they want. There are certain cases where issues like uh, operating machinery close to to uh, uh, hedgerows, etc., require a certain degree of of management. Uh, so, I think it, I, I suppose the, the one of the big questions that we have uh, in relation to it is is do farmers know enough about m management of hedgerows at this point, or is it something that we really need to intensively work with them on? Um, I suppose, uh, yeah, like I suppose in that scenario, yeah, ultimately, if you had a very full one and could get it down to just needing some breasting, that would be the best. But I suppose, uh, I suppose it's probably maybe at a more general level, maybe some of their benefits aren't fully valued, I suppose. But that's, I can't say that. But yeah. I think, I, I think in terms of, um, you know, that advisory education part, it's crucial. And that's not just hedgerows. It's because the goalposts are changing and what we need land to deliver. And so that's going to be an iterative ongoing process in trying to find the optimal management. What's the way that's going to work for a farmer and for um, for the other things we need to, to achieve? So and just in, in terms of the amount of carbon per unit area of the hedgerow relative to surrounding grasslands, what kind of relativities are you talking about there? Particularly uh, in terms of the soil carbon. 
Yeah, so, well, uh, it's difficult to say in terms of the soil, but in mineral soils, we assume a sequestration of about half a tonne of carbon per hectare. Um, uh, there's research, the range can go up to 3.9 tonnes in under the hedgerow. Right. Um, ours was somewhere in the middle, around 2.8 is what we, but in wider literature, I've seen up to 3.9. So there is carbon accrual, but you also have to remember that it is quite a small area. So the magnitude in total isn't going to be massive. But it's still a benefit there. And I would say there's new mapping. Um, a new map came out from Tal to Aaron, which estimated that that national area of hedgerows looks to be around 250,000 hectares. So that's small compared to, um, you know, grasslands of 4 million plus, you know. So, um, you know, it's also to keep the perspective in terms of the aerial extent too that these occupy. Pat, yeah. can I come back to one on, because yeah. um, I, I know you're talking about it's, it's been included in the marginal, um, the MAC abatement um, cost curve. And I understand from you that some of the benefit of going from yearly cutting to three-year cutting is a saving in the um, uh, the machinery costs and the fuel, et cetera, et cetera. Now, apart from, so that's important, I think, for us to note. But apart from that, then, um, do you think the carbon from annual cutting versus three to five year cutting? So apart from the fuel saving, which is very important, um, is the cutting of the hedge itself going from one to three to five years? Yeah, there is saving there. There is saving yeah, there. Yeah, there is, okay. yeah, certainly yeah. in terms of the carbon accrual. Um, one thing that is interesting, though, is that the year and year flailing, um, that does have returns to the soil. So that's an area where that very routinely managed does actually potentially have a bit more um, carbon because if those those cuttings are going straight back into the litter component, back into the soil. But um, certainly again, the best yeah. or the fastest saving is that management now, again i wonder if that's incremental cutting we saw up in caffrey with brian irvine and um, they're very much into and it's what we'd always recommend is never going back to the same spot to cut you know so incrementally cutting and i wonder if what you were measuring was being cut to the same level each year if you know what i mean so it's and just would you uh, do you want to comment on that was it incrementally you know when, when you could talk about one year versus five year if the one year is incrementally cut out and an inch more each year well, allowing them to multiply would that be? maybe i'm well, getting too much detail I, now Karen. i know <laughs> you always want the answer to this question catherine but until we actually yeah look that's at fair that, enough that's fair enough and yeah, can i just make that I, 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 would, yeah. I would say anecdotally catherine uh when the hedge cutter goes in it pretty much goes to the same point. Uh, well, we're uh, saying absolutely not, Pat. Well, no, I'm saying yes, is. I agree. So my point is, if we can change practice there, maybe yeah. we can be. And just the last point on that one now, because we are, um, yeah, on the the just to be very careful for the warning for the general thing of moving to five year cutting and end up ending up getting very rough cuts. There's a serious concern about disease yeah. in hedges, and we could lose our whole hedge. So as you, Lillian, you're so mm. rounded in everything you say that we need to be careful with everything we do but we, yeah so that's uh pat have i missed anything Catherine, there's just one comment yes and please it, yeah. it, it comes from traveling around the country a bit with you this week and it relates to we talk about unmanaged but to get to the point of having a hedge that's unmanaged there's a good bit of management involved 
particularly at the early stages of planting hedges. It's not a case of I'll put them in, walk away, leave them forever. There's a, a good bit of management and, and, and people who are going to be involved in planting hedgerows need to have a really good understanding of that early stage management or if you're getting involved in laying or coppicing or any form of rejuvenation of hedges. There is a, a knowledge base required there uh, uh, to, to be able to do that, to be able to do it effectively to get best results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we've come to the end of our time. I would like to say thanks to uh, to Lillian. I think a lot of people really appreciated the the, the uh, insight that you've given us into hedgerows. For a lot of people, it's a it's a very new way of looking at hedgerows. Uh, that I suppose up to a few years ago we weren't thinking around them in carbon, and then we probably over thought about them or overestimated potentially what the the their the role is and i think now we're with your data we're getting back to a, a i suppose a, a more balanced uh, uh view of of what they they can do for us uh but also it gives us a starting point to hopefully over the next number of years improve the management to increase the amount of sequestration so so thank you very much uh thanks to to our audience just in in relation to uh next week uh, we're, we're going to be joined by Dr. Rachel Catano talking about uh, digitization of advisory services to support sustainable agriculture and a huge amount of work going on in the space of, of digitization and, and digital systems within our organization and within other organizations to try and, and, and support. And part of it is in what you were talking about there in terms of the, the whole use of, of, a, a, it's big data in some respects. Uh, so a lot of, of, I think, the progress we're going to make over the next number of years is going to be dependent on digitization. So we look forward to that. Thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.